0: Well, I've keyed in on a word this morning, and so I want to begin by asking you the question, what does it mean to be steadfast? Probably doesn't come up in your daily conversation. You know what I'd really like? Somebody who's steadfast. You know what I'd really like to be? Somebody who's steadfast. I wish those people would be more steadfast. Probably doesn't come up that often, Uh, but to be steadfast is to be determined. It's to be loyal, uh, faithful. Uh, It could be to be firmly fixed, right? Grabbed hold of. Uh, not subject to change. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we're commanded to be steadfast. The, the opposite, this might be helpful too, uh, would be to be mm, undetermined unfaithful, or indifferent, or uninterested. We've already seen a lack of interest, haven't we, in Esau. He's not interested in the things of God. He's not interested in the blessing of God. He's not interested in the promises of God. He sold his birthright to such things for a bowl of lentil soup. In our passage this morning, unfortunately, we'll see a lack of steadfastness in Isaac as well. The good news is that God will show himself to be steadfast. God will show himself to be steadfast in all of his promises, even when his people are not. Which is very encouraging for his people, isn't it? You lot of steadfast people. Because every Christian has experienced the fact that our best motives are still mixed motives. And our best efforts are still flawed efforts. Even so, God works in and through his people to bring about his saving and sanctifying purposes in his creation in this world. And he does so that we would see that he, not us, is the one who's glorious. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 27 this morning. We're going to go from 27 verse 1 to chapter 28 verse 9. But I'm going to read 28, 27, 1 to 40 to begin with. I'll read the other passage a little bit later. This is the Word of God. When Isaac was old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, "'My son,' and he answered, "'Here I am.' He said, "'Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow,' And go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for some game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I, may prepare them for, for, that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as their father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat at my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really, my son, Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother has come deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Well, Isaac is not steadfast in upholding the promises of God. This story is famous for Rebekah's plot to deceive Isaac. That's what it's famous for. That's what we all look to read, but that is based entirely on Isaac's plot to bless Esau. Isaac is old, and he's physically blind, or very nearly... He becomes a a man of creature comforts in his old age. We've noted this before. We learned in chapter 25, verse 28, that Isaac loved to eat the delicious meals made of the game that Esau hunted. And even more in his old age. He desires the wild game and savory delights that Esau makes for him. But Isaac's real problem is that, despite his authentic faith in God, and he has that, he is determined to oppose the revealed will of God regarding Jacob and Esau. Isaac has is known from before the twins were born in chapter 25 verse 23 that God has chosen Jacob and not Esau to carry on the line of purpose, the line of blessing. That prophecy of God is what governs our understanding of this entire story. That is the revealed will of God. It's something that Rebekah on a regular basis probably would not let Isaac forget. Isaac is also aware that Jacob manipulated Esau to sell his birthright to him for a bowl of stew. That was probably a real sore spot for Isaac. Something he obviously held against Jacob, but not against Esau. Not against Esau for not wanting the, the blessing in the beginning. When Esau is one of those who didn't care about his birthright, but that Isaac so much wanted to give him from his soul, he says. Isaac was painfully aware that Esau married two Canaanite women who made life bitter for him and Rebekah. He brought sin into the camp when he brought these these Hittite women in as his wives. It's like Esau wears Teflon. Isaac ignores Esau's every fault. All Isaac could think about was meat in his stomach and his firstborn. You see, Isaac is the one who is off track here. He wants, from the depth of his soul, Moses tells us, to bless Esau, his firstborn. Isaac is willing to ignore God's word, the desire of his wife, the right of his elect son, Jacob, to bless his immoral son, Esau. Because that... And a savory meal is all that pleases him right now. You see, Isaac is the one who has just thrown a relational torch into the family tent to burn it down. It's because of his sin as a husband and father and patriarch that no one will escape from these circumstances unscathed. Everyone's going to be harmed. He's not going to escape. Rebecca's not going to escape. Esau's not going to escape. Jacob's not going to escape without damage being done. But Rebecca counters Isaac's plot to bless Isaac, to bless Esau, with her own plot for Isaac to bless Jacob. And it works. You know, some scholars, mostly modern scholars I've noticed, point out that Rebecca takes matters into her own hands because she lacks faith in God to fulfill his election of Jacob. Not to mention that she's motivated by her, her favoritism towards Jacob. And I think those things are there. Other scholars, mostly the historical scholars, consider Rebecca the hero of the story. Not hero as in she's perfect, but she's the one who's moving things in the right direction. As a woman of faith, she acted the only way she could think to act, to see that Jacob, the seed of the woman, was blessed when her husband was bent on blessing Esau, the seed of the serpent. Even though it required her to deceive her husband, and it required her to, to compel her son Jacob to deceive his father. Remember that when we're reading the Old Testament, or or anywhere, frankly, that narrative, that is storytelling in the Bible, narrative is not normative. (coughs) Narrative passages like this describe what took place. We're observing in Scripture what took place. But they don't prescribe our behavior. What we're supposed to do. We should pursue faithful and righteous behavior. We should not lie, cheat, or deceive one another. Families certainly should not behave this way. Churches, church families should not behave this way. But we do observe this behavior in Rebecca and Jacob. At the same time, we should address sin and act to counter disobedience in our families and in the church. We should be motivated by God's promise and labor to bring them about. We observe this behavior in Rebekah and Jacob too. So why is this passage here? Why does Moses archive this family mess? And it is a mess. I think there are two main reasons. One, to Israel, remember his first readers? He delivers the Pentateuch, which includes the the book of Genesis, to Israel, on the banks of the Jordan, to Israel. And to us, we're to know that God's election of Jacob and the promised seed has indeed come to pass. What God willed has come to pass. And to affirm again to Israel, and us, that nothing can thwart the plans and purposes of God. No man's sin, not even the sins of his own chosen people, will stop God from keeping his promises. So the purpose of this passage is not to run Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau through our own family counseling. Although we will, as a secondary matter, we will. There are questions to be answered. Because we have questions we want answered, but the most direct application is to believe that God will fulfill his promises. And so we are not to justify our unrighteous acts as appropriate and good if they happen to aid the righteous work of God. We can't do that. God's ends do not justify our unrighteous means. We would like for Isaac to follow through in blessing Jacob because it's God's revealed will. We would like... Rebecca, to just pray and wait rather than scheme and deceive. We would like Jacob to humble himself for Pete's sake and be honest for just a minute. And we would like Esau to be obedient to God. Instead, Moses gives us this honest account of family relationships, a husband and father who believes in God but is driven by his stomach and disobeys God. A wife and mother who believes in God's promises to her son, but acts deceptively, driven by favoritism. A son who desires the blessings of God, but not the righteousness of God. And another son who could care less, and goes his own way. As I said, no one is going to do well in this scenario. Their only hope is in God's grace. Usually, in Old Testament narrative, we gain clearer understanding from the dialogue than we do the action. We see all this action taking place, and it gets our attention, right? It's really the dialogue that explains things. Words speak, action tends to muffle, so listen to what the characters say. Listen to what these characters are saying. In verse 4, Isaac says to Esau, whom God has rejected, Prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you. In verse 13, Rebecca says to Jacob, whom God has chosen, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Now look at Jacob. I mean, how how absurd he must have looked and felt. Mom's dressed him up, right? Like in a Halloween costume almost. He's dressed like a clown. He's wearing Big Brother's clothes. He has patches of goat skin strapped around his arms and his neck. I mean, it's embarrassing. In this dialogue, Isaac seems as blind as to what's happening as Jacob is seen for what he is. In verse 18, Isaac asks Jacob, Who are you? Jacob lies. I'm Esau, your firstborn. In verse 20, Isaac asks, How is it that you found it so quickly? Jacob blasphemes. He brings God in on his lie. The Lord your God granted me success. Now, don't miss that irony. God is going to grant Jacob success in receiving the blessing through this deception. But Jacob will suffer the consequences of his sinful actions. In verse 24, Isaac asks again, are you really my son Esau? Jacob answers, I am. Man, that's cold. He looks his sweet dad in the face and says, another lie. Jacob's not a boy anymore. Jacob's at least 40 years old. We know from chapter 26, verse 34, he's at least 40. When we know, we know that God chose Jacob before he was even born, but Jacob has not yet submitted himself to God. As as we're looking at Jacob's story, we're still early on. He has not submitted himself to God. He won't do that for some time yet. Jacob's desire for the blessing is out of his own selfish ambition, probably fueled by his mother's doting and his father's distancing. Nonetheless, he receives the blessing. Later in the Pentateuch, distinctions will be made between legal birthrights and legal blessing. Here, the two are, are pretty much melded together. The birthright of property and leadership is tightly closed, or uh, closely tied to the, dwell, the, the blessing of the covenant line. They're, they're kind of just melded together. Moses records Esau complaining that Jacob has cheated him twice Not to distinguish two different things, but just to show something about Esau. To remind us how little he really cared. How little he cared about the blessing. Oh, he acted like it until he didn't get it. And then Isaac gives this blessing. The the blessing comes kind of in these poetic stanzas. The first stanza, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord is blessed. Jacob comes near to Isaac to kiss his father. He smells uh, like the the great outdoors. Which turns Isaac's thoughts to the Lord's promised land. Because that's where the blessing moves. The second stanza, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Dew is a common metaphor in Hebrew for God's goodness in provision. It's the dew that waters the fields and producing plenty, the fatness of the land. The third stanza, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Here, Isaac utterly rejects God's word to Rebekah in 25-23, that the older shall serve the younger. He knows that's the revealed will of God. And he thinks he's blessing Esau with universal dominion. This is what he wanted to say from the depths of his soul. And the fourth stanza, cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is obviously God's promise of protection upon Abraham. Isaac thinks he's sealing the deal for Esau. Here we go. Whoever blesses you will be blessed, whoever curses you will be cursed, but he's not. He's sealing the deal for Jacob. And almost comically, just as Jacob walks out of his father's tent, Esau walks in with a very savory meal in hand savory meal in hand and his and his proud expectations in his heart Esau has heard about God's will he's heard that the older will serve the younger but he doesn't believe it he believes the other part that one of them will be strong Esau says yes I'm strong I'm the stronger one <laughs> Nobody here thinks I'm going to serve Jacob Are you kidding Yes, he remembers he sold his birthright to Jacob, but he doesn't care because dad loves me. Dad told me to go bring him the food. He's going to bless me. Once again, the writer of Hebrews explains in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Turn there with me. Would you put your eyes on this? It'll be helpful. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now look at verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Yes, Esau wants the stuff his father has to give. And he believes he's earned it. I mean, frankly, from all of the hunting and all the meals he's prepared. He thinks he's, he's earned it by providing fresh meat for his father Isaac's stomach. But unholy Esau consistently rejects the things of God yes he sought the blessing by cursing jacob and crying and begging his father but he did not seek the blessing with repentance toward god he's still unconcerned about the things of god now isaac isaac is shocked he's physically shaking. Have you ever done that? Know, maybe so. Maybe you're so tired, your muscles are shaking, or maybe you're so angry, or a, an anxiety attack, you're just, just shaking. His body's quaking. His soul's broken. And in that moment, Isaac realizes that God has defeated him. Listen to what Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes of Isaac at that moment. Before a great work of grace, there must be a great earthquake. Isaac had put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. Down came his idol, and the edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride which had slyly planned to thwart God Toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all his desires were shattered. I mean, as you read this, you probably have this question why wouldn't Isaac take back the blessing? You got it by trickery. I'm taking it back, and I'm going to give it to Esau. Why doesn't he do that? Surely he can. Why wouldn't he take the blessing back? Why couldn't he take the blessing back, even though Isaac begged with tears? Because at that moment, Isaac himself accepted that Jacob is blessed of God. How do we know that? Because Isaac submitted himself to God's will when he said in verse 23. Yes, and he, Jacob, shall be blessed. You see, by the grace of God, Isaac did bless the chosen seed. That's amazing. Isaac is sad, but he's he's also relieved. Esau doesn't relent. Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also? What Isaac has left for Esau sounds more like an anti-blessing. Because it is. It's a blessing that goes on to substantiate the blessing he's already given to Jacob. Esau and his descendants will not have the due. And the fatness and the plenty of the land of blessing. Away from the land. Edom will settle in the land of Seir, a high and rocky place. Good for fighting and defending, but not for growing crops or grazing herds. Esau and his descendants will live by the sword. They'll live by violence. The nation of Edom shall serve the nation of Israel, but they won't do it happily. And they won't be good servants. Edom will always be a thorn in Israel's side until they break the yoke as Isaac prophesies. One day Edom will join with Israel's enemies and defeat them and send them into exile in Babylon. We wish things had gone differently. We wish Moses would give us transcripts of the family's interactions so we could run them through our own version of family counseling. We don't know how many times Isaac ignored Jacob while bragging on Esau. We don't know how many times Esau watched Rebekah dote on Jacob while ignoring him. That's not what this passage is here for. It's not written to bear the weight of that scrutiny. It's just, it's just off target. But we do know this. We do know some things that absolutely should have happened in a faithful family. Isaac should have put his personal preferences under the authority of the Word of God. From boyhood, he should have taught Esau the Word of God revealed in the answer to Rebekah's prayer. Isaac should have explained to Esau that the way for him to be blessed would be to bless and serve his brother Jacob. He should have cultivated humility in Esau, teaching him that he can still grow up to be a good Man who seeks the Lord and serves well the elect son. And Esau, Esau should have responded in faith and obedience to his father and to the revealed will of God. He should have repented. We know that should have happened. Rather than responding in bitterness and resentment, There was a life full of blessing still available to him if he would steadfastly serve Jacob. Even blessings of of honor and respect as a member of the household. If Isaac had done that, if Isaac had shared all of that with Esau, he would simply have been sharing the gospel. He would simply have been sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with his son. All of us are born sinners, like Esau and Jacob. You thought you got away. You didn't read this passage and go, oh my goodness, I'm identifying with Esau here. Did you? We all do. Or that deceiver, Jacob. Yes, we all do. We're all born sinners, just like them. We all want to go our own way and do our own thing and have our own stuff. Started with Adam. It's still happening here. And all of us are called by God to submit to his elect son, Jesus Christ. There are going to be consequences for your sin. Turn to Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn Christ, believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him and a blesser of those who seek him. Receive salvation from your sin. Forgiveness. Instead of condemnation and judgment, forgiveness and life. By turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all of us have to respond in repentance and faith. It's the only way. All of us, not just Esau, I mean, even Jacob, even everyone since Adam and Eve. We must come to the Lord in repentance and faith. You're not being singled out, dear sinner. All of us must come to God in this way. And if you will, if you will turn to Jesus, if you will repent of your sin, you will find him steadfast. He will save you. He will keep you. Your sins once forgiven are always forgiven. The love of God that comes to you in that moment remains with you. God is present with you, walking with you, always, teaching you, instructing you in the good life, in the righteous life, in the life to come which lasts forever. This is just the training ground that we sojourn in. It's, it's just training and prep for what's to come, which is promised to us. And God is steadfast to keep that promise no matter what we do. If we will come to him by faith and pursue blamelessness. The aftermath of the story begins in chapter 27, verse 41. Let me pick up and read there. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called for Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, free to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there, why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of these women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Jacob called, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to and Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take your wife, as your wife, from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban and the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took a wife As his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Well, Esau looks a lot like Cain here, doesn't he? Determined to kill his brother. And like Cain, his ruptured relationship with God leads to a ruptured relationship with his fellow man. Now, now, Rebecca counterplots to disrupt Esau's plot to kill, kill Jacob. Her comment, why should I be repped of you both in one day, seems to indicate that she's lost any relationship she might have had with Cain. Excuse me, Esau. But she hopes to spare Jacob, the Alexei. So she complains to Isaac about Esau's two Hittite wives who grieve them both, It's a legitimate complaint. I think it's trumped up a little bit to get get Isaac to act. She's prompting Isaac to send Jacob away to find a wife, and out of Esau's murderous reach. Isaac blesses Jacob's travel to Mesopotamia to find a wife from among Laban's household. There, Jacob will experience some poetic justice for his deceiving. But that's yet to come. But Isaac also reiterates his blessing to Jacob in verses 3 and 4. This time, knowingly, in a straightforward way, he says to Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. There is, we need to notice, a three-step progression in Jacob's life. It's a progression that will be repeated in Scripture over and over and over. It is election, exile, exaltation. Election, exile, exaltation. We hear God's election of Jacob in his answer to Rebekah's inquiry about the twins inside of her. Here, Moses records that transfer of God's promise to the elect. Jacob is complete. Now, Jacob is going away from the promised land. It's a period of exile. He's leaving the promised land. He's going into Mesopotamia. The purpose of exile is always to cleanse and prepare. Cleanse and prepare. In exile, God will work on Jacob. Not to make him perfect, but to improve him. And to prepare him for what's next. And in that last stage, Jacob's exaltation, is, it's still a ways off. But that's the progression we should observe. Elected, exiled, exalted. Esau just can't seem to get it right. Still in hopes of getting some blessing from his father, he decides that he'll take a wife. I'll take another wife, which is another sin. He's learned that his Canaanite wives are displeasing to his parents. And he sees Isaac send Jacob off to get a suitable wife from Uncle Laban. And so Esau says, hey, I'll go off to Uncle Ishmael and get another wife from another cursed tribe who cannot bear the blessing. Esau is trying to fix his sin with more sin, which is proof that sin makes you stupid. He doesn't turn to God, he doesn't repent, he just keeps going his own way. Chapter 27 began with Isaac saying, Behold, I'm old, I do not know the day of my death. Actually, Isaac would live another 20 years with his fractured family. Rebekah would never see Jacob again. As they declined in years, they watched their son Esau descend further and further into Canaanite living. They did not escape the consequences of their relational sins against one another. Nonetheless, God was steadfast in his promises. When we look at real people's lives, as the Bible forces us to do here, we have to learn to discern what the people are doing, and what God is doing. Yes, the people are sinners. But look at whose sin God uses to accomplish his purposes. He won't be thwarted by our sin. Isaac is about to make a huge mistake in rejecting God's elect Jacob. It is Rebekah who acts on behalf of God's elect, and God blesses her deception with success. He does not approve of her lies, in Christ he forgives her lies, but he uses her effort of steadfastness of his promises. He can do that and yet do no wrong in and of himself. Esau is about to make a huge mistake in killing God's elect, Jacob. It is Rebecca who acts on behalf of God's elect. And God blesses her plan with success. Her motives are mixed as she stirs up Isaac to send Jacob into exile, but God uses her effort in steadfastness of his promises. And he can do that because he's the steadfast one. This passage does not give us the right to sin and say it's all right because we think we're helping God to do his work doesn't do that. That's not here. This passage does show us that even our best, when our best walk of faith is faulty, God remains faithful to us and steadfast to his promises. For us, it's like riding a bike that has training wheels on. Or or walking the trapeze rope, but there's a safety net below. Maybe it's a little bit like that. God looks at Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and us, and he says, pursue faith and blamelessness. That's what you're to do in my covenant promises. And then he also says, I'm not ashamed to be your God. Can you believe it? He's not ashamed to be our God, even our God. By his word here in Genesis, his spirit is building our steadfast confidence in Christ. That's what should be happening with this passage. And for that reason, we have every reason to be steadfastly thankful to the Lord, our steadfast God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your steadfastness. We thank you that you are immovable in your purposes. We thank you that you are unchanging in your plans for salvation and for your glory. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us, that you'd continue to work in us, that you would sanctify us even as we walk. Lord, we long to be like Christ, and you have promised that you will make us like him when he comes. And so you've given us hope and you've given us strength for this day. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.